to gather together to give thanks for Alan John Robertson, who was born December 9th, 1925, and who died November 18th, 2009. Alan was not the kind of person who drew attention to himself. He was not the kind of person who wanted to be the center of attention. He might be inclined to overrule what we're doing here in wanting to remember him, but he was also a servant, a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced that the Lord Jesus Christ will overrule Alan at this particular moment and will want for his grace to be celebrated in the life of Alan John Robertson. So we come together today to do that. We come to give thanks for Alan. We come to celebrate the grace of God in his life. And we come to glorify the God who was the creator and redeemer and friend of our friend and husband and father, Alan Robertson. And so I want to invite you for the family and uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ himself to enter into this time as we seek to worship God. I've had, I've had the, the privilege over the last few days of being with Alice and with their family and met yesterday morning to talk about this service. And one of the comments that was made by someone was, let's have less talking and more singing. And so this service is filled with singing, hymns that Alan and Alice love and which I trust you will love as well as we worship God together. So as we begin, let me invite you to hear these wonderfully comforting words, hopeful words from the prophet Isaiah who lived hundreds and hundreds of years before the coming of Christ, but who looked down the corridor of history and was given a vision of what it is that Christ would do when he came into this world, that he would come into this world to vanquish sin and death and gain a victory over sin and death. O oh Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you, I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful, and sure. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. He will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him 
Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. God who delights to come and be in the midst of his people. God who loves to inhabit the praises of his people. As we gather this morning, you know our hearts, you know each of us, and you especially know the hearts of the Robertson family. And for their sake and for the praise of your name and for the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask you that you would come here, that you'd be among us, that through your word and by your spirit you would speak with power, that you would set before us the glory of your son Jesus in his victory over sin and death, And with these things, would you encourage the hearts not only of the Robertsons, but of all of us? We ask in Jesus' name, the one who has loved Alan with an everlasting love, and who because of that love has come into the world to redeem Alan, to make him his younger brother and your son. And for this we do praise you in Jesus' name. And we pray as Jesus has taught his disciples to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Those of you who know Alan and you are here because you did know Alan, I'm sure have some sense that Alan loved the Bible. He loved the scriptures. He loved the word of God because the word of God was life for him. Uh, the Word of God inscripturated, and the Word of God, capital W, the Word of God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one to whom all of the scriptures point. We want to spend some time reading God's Word this morning, reading some passages that are meaningful and special for Alice and were for Alan as well. So let me invite you to, to listen, to hear, the word of God, as it is read this morning, first from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. 
Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. I can just hear Alan reading these words. I can hear him. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from all my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Psalm 59, verses 16 and 17. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Psalm 118, verses 17 and 19 through 24. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. 
God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Thanks be to God for his word. Thanks be to God that Alan loved it. Loved it. And I know loved to imagine those old and frail feet and legs leaping like the deers on high places. Let me invite you to stand and we'll sing together a hymn, the text of which is printed on the back page of your program. I want to invite uh, Alan's daughter, Martha, to come up here and uh, offer some remarks from herself and for her family. I have a poem that was written by my daughter when she was a teenager for my father on Father's Day, and it's entitled Grandpa. Winter, spring, summer, fall, always endless, forever all. A selfless act, a thoughtful deed, and nothing in return received. A smile and a cheerful word, always seen and always heard. In 17 years, it seems to me, I've never heard what he wants or what he needs. I've met a new guy, Mom, that I'm sure you won't hate. He reminds me of Grandpa. Mom sets the date. I don't see how it's possible or that it can be that all fruits of the Spirit hang just from one tree. But it's true, and I see it in my grandpa's eyes. And I know it's because he walks with Jesus close by his side. We're lucky he asks for nothing for his guidance and support, for I know his priceless gifts we could never afford. So on this Father's Day of 1995, we knew something tangible would hardly suffice. To show you our love and express how we feel, I hope you know our gratitude is still just as real. She then puts in parenthesis, even though we didn't get you socks or a puzzle. I know the last thing that uh, Alan would want for anybody to come away from this service thinking is that he somehow lived at some sort of different plane from the rest of sinful humanity. But what a wonderful thing for a 17-year-old girl to look at her grandfather and see in her grandfather the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And what a, what a wonderfully crafted sentence to be able to say of your grandfather that on one tree <laughs> all of that fruit is hanging and can be seen. 
That, that really is a powerful testimony to the goodness and the grace of God in Alan's life. Thanks, Martha. Thanks for doing that. Let me turn you now to the New Testament and to John chapter 6. Beginning at verse 28, Alice gave me a list of scripture passages when we were together the other morning. Um, I would have loved to have read all of them, but we'd be here until Sunday. Um, so she gave me the liberty of selecting from them, although she had indicated some preferences. and. Um, I just want to encourage you again to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and to listen to this wonderful, wonderful and hopeful word that comes from Jesus himself to his people and, and to seekers and to those who want to know that in the midst of all of the confused and chaotic voices that surround you, there is one voice that speaks into that chaos and speaks truth and speaks hope, and that is the voice of Jesus. And that is the voice I trust you'll hear in this passage. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 28, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And then Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Again, thanks be to God for his wonderful, wonderful word. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word now for just a few minutes, we, we really do want to hear from you. And so even as Paul prayed and longed for the wisdom of God to be made manifest in the foolishness of preaching, uh, we ask the same thing here now this morning, that your extraordinary and glorious wisdom would be set before us and the wonders of your amazing grace. May they captivate our hearts for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name. Amen. I want to look with you for just a few minutes at a passage from 1 Thessalonians, it's chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, if you want to have it before you um, as we hear about it and, and look at it, that, uh, that would be good, be good for you. I'm mindful of uh, what we talked about uh, yesterday morning, more singing, less talking, mindful of that. Um, but I did say to the family yesterday that uh, the great privilege that I have as a minister of the gospel here in this setting on this occasion is I trust by God's grace to be a mouthpiece, to be the one through whom God himself would speak words of hope and comfort to the family, to you, Alice, Martha, Mark, Mary, Brian, Patty, Molly, and the rest of you here as well. Um, I like to say to people that what we do when we gather as Christians in a setting like this or when we gather for worship on Sunday mornings, uh, this is not a dumb show. This is not a piece of theater. This is not play acting. This is the most consequential and significant thing that you will do today. It's the most consequential and significant thing that you will do in the entirety of your life to gather together as people coming into the presence of the God who is really there, the God who then comes to be with his people, who is invisible to you, but who is more real than you are. More real, in fact, than you are. 
and who does himself come to speak and to speak truth into a situation like this, into a, a time and a place like this, which at one level feels so black and so dark and so empty and where we feel so utterly helpless and confounded. The living God comes to this place to speak true things, not opinions, not things that are spun out of somebody's head, but true things into this particular moment for your benefit, you who grieve. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope, who have no hope. Paul, as he writes to these Thessalonians, is writing to folks who are new Christians. They're, they're folks who've, who've come to know about Jesus in this town in Asia Minor where, where Paul has been a missionary and an evangelist and where he's preached this, this glad news, these good tidings that, that the Son of God has come into the world and, and he's lived and he's died and he's been raised again. And, and those who trust in him can be two things <laughs> and, as, and many more. They can be forgiven and they can be set free from the fear of death. They can be forgiven and they can be free. And so here they are, these new Christians, and, and they've believed this gospel. And Paul is writing them because he loves them. He's writing them these letters, not because, again, he sits in some, some ivory tower someplace and he spins these things out of his head. He's a pastor who loves his people. And what has happened between the time of his coming to Thessalonica and the writing of this letter is that people have died. He came to Thessalonica to preach the gospel that Jesus is victorious over sin and death. And people believed Paul. And then he left and he went on his way and he preached the gospel other places. And then people started to die. People who had believed in Jesus. And it looked like death. It looked like death was the winner and not Jesus. And he was writing them to tell them to reassure them, to remind them that while they do, in fact, grieve, and there is good reason to grieve here. Alice, you said, I heard you say this to someone coming in. Half of you is here. Half of you is here. A husband has died. A father has died. A grandfather has died. A friend has died. And there is reason to grieve. But Paul because Jesus laid hold of him and entrusted him with this gospel, Paul wants to say to the Thessalonians, and I want to say to you, you do not grieve as those who have no hope. The image that Paul uses here is the image of sleep, repose, rest. He's referring to the body. The Bible is very clear that at the time of death, the great divorce occurs. God created a marriage in Genesis chapter 2. He took some dirt, formed it, and fashioned it into a man, and then he breathed into that material substance an animating life force, gave that man a soul. And at death, the great divorce occurs. The soul and the body are separated. They are torn rent apart. 
And what Paul is referring to here in this passage is the body. The soul, the Bible is very clear. Alan's soul, his consciousness, that animating part of him derived from God in which God continues to sustain and empower and enable so that Alan, while apart from the body, now present with the Lord, sees in that sense, sees and delights in and rejoices in, knows a blessedness, knows a happiness, knows a contentment that he heretofore had only had small and fleeting tastes of. He knows a fullness of joy. He knows a fullness of joy. He knows what the thief on the cross knew. Jesus said to him, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Be comforted first in the midst of your grief and knowing that your husband, your father, your grandfather, be comforted first in knowing that for him, the struggle is over. And the joy is real, palpable. But know as well that there is a greater day coming. And that greater day is the day that Paul has in mind here. The body sleeps. The body, it does decay. It is deteriorating. It is falling apart. But Paul, referring to the body, describes it as sleeping. And when someone goes to sleep, when someone falls asleep, there is the expectation of a waking up. There is an expectation of a new day. There is an expectation of more to come. The body sleeps. The soul is present with Christ. The body sleeps. And what Paul describes here is that great day when Jesus will return and will raise that body from its sleep to vitality. What Paul describes here is a revitalization of the body. This is what he says. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. He's speaking again to folks just like us. He's saying, look, this is... This is how it's going to work, okay? This is how it's going to play out. Those believers who are alive at the time of Christ's coming, of his returning, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. But in point of fact, they will be an audience witnessing this most extraordinary of events, the risen Christ appearing and summoning from their sleep those who have died in him, summoning those bodies up out of the ground, revitalizing those bodies, reconstituting those bodies, and reuniting those bodies with their souls. A marriage that will never end. And it will happen with the trumpet call of God, with the voice of of the archangel with a cry of command. And here's what I shared with you the other morning. The image that Paul uses here is the image of a conquering general king. We don't get this imagery because when 
generals and armies come home from the fight. They just land at Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland or some other place, and maybe there's a band there to welcome them. But in these days, when the general came home, when the king came home, his approach to the village would be announced with a trumpet, and that trumpet would summon the citizens of the village out from the village to welcome the conquering general king. And that is the picture that Paul paints here. The picture of the conquering general king, King Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the last enemy to be defeated is death. Then will be fulfilled the saying that is written, O death, where is your sting? Alice, Martha, Mark, Patty, family. That day has kind of come, but it hasn't fully come. There is a day coming when this kind of thing will never happen again. When Jesus, the conquering general king, will return visibly and with one word, one word, one simple command, summon the bodies of those whom he loves from the ground, revitalize them, reconstitute them, restore them to their souls, and then the conquering king, the general who has gained the victory with all of the citizens of his kingdom will come to their eternal habitation, the new heaven and the new earth. And that's where the reunion will happen. And that, and I mean this, I don't diminish this by this language at all, that is when the party will begin. That is when the feast will begin. That is when the consumption of choice foods of aged wines, metaphors, pictures of the riches and fullness of the new heaven and the new earth, that is when we will enter into the enjoyment, the full enjoyment of the life that Jesus has purchased for your husband, for your father, for your grandfather. And Paul says, and I encourage you all with this, Paul says, therefore, Comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. We are to be ministers to you at this time. All of us, not just me. We are to comfort you with these words, with these promises, with this assurance of that great day that is out in front of us, which is coming when Christ will appear and summon those whom he loves from their repose into the glories of the new heaven and the new earth, there to enjoy it and him forever. Comfort these people with these words. With these words. The resurrection of the dead to everlasting life. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that this is coming. Keep it before us. I pray it especially for Alice. I pray that in moments of doubt and darkness, moments of loneliness and uncertainty, that these words, these truths would be her hope, her deep comfort and encouragement. I pray for her family. I pray that these same words would comfort them. I pray, in fact, that as Martha and Patty and Mark and Mary and Brian and Molly go back home, that they would take these words with them and that they would speak these words to other members of the family who couldn't be here. May these words be life-giving, imparting comfort to the members of this family. And, oh, Father, would you give us grace as Christ the King Presbyterian Church, as friends of Alice, would you give us grace to speak these words for her comfort. Lord Jesus, we bow before you to praise you and thank you that all of this really is true. We believe it. We rest upon it. We trust you for it. And now we entrust these precious people, this wonderful family, into your safekeeping. In your name, amen. Before we sing the next hymn, I do simply want to say, Alice, that it has been an extraordinary privilege for me over the last three and a half years to be your pastor. Um, An extraordinary privilege to have known Alan. Um, I count him a friend. And I'm grateful for a friendship that I know hasn't ended. I'm grateful myself that the day is coming when I get to see Alan again. Would you stand with me? We'll sing another wonderful hymn, number 455. And can it be that I should gain? You're going to have to take deep breaths to sing this one. So take those deep breaths and let's sing it with joy, number 455. be seated. And I invite you to pray with me. Almighty God, who has knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your Son, Christ our Lord, grant, we beseech you, to your whole church in paradise and on earth, your light and your peace. Amen. Grant that all who have been baptized into Christ's death and resurrection may die to sin and rise to newness of life, and that through the grave and gate of death we may pass with him to our joyful resurrection. Amen.
Grant to all who mourn a sure confidence in your fatherly care, that casting all their grief on you, they may know the consolation of your love. Amen. And help us, we pray, in the midst of things we cannot understand, to believe and trust in you and be comforted by the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection to life everlasting. Amen. And let me invite you to stand again as we will affirm what the church through the centuries has affirmed concerning the one true God and the salvation he has accomplished for his people in Jesus Christ. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand, God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And please turn with me to number 710, God of our fathers, number 710. Let me encourage you again to be encouraged as you sing your praise to God. Each day, Alan and Alice would send scripture verses to members of their family. And with those scripture verses, every time was this ironic benediction. That's ironic, not ironic. It's the benediction that God, through Moses, gave to Aaron, the high priest. And with this benediction, the high priest was to bless his people. Jesus is the great high priest who blesses his people with this good word. And I invite you, again, giving thanks for the grace of God in the life of Alan Robertson, and as a final way of expressing glory and praise to God, to unite your voices as we speak this benediction to one another. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen and amen. And you all are invited to join us for a reception with the family following this service. Please plan to stay and greet them. And thank you for the family for being here.